You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. The year was 1939. A young man stepped foot on the campus of 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 UCLA, the Bruins. Yeah, we can make some noise for the Bruins. This man was a gifted athlete. And it wasn't long until he was a four-sport letter winner in football, basketball, track and field, and baseball. He ultimately left college in the spring of his senior year, just a few credits short of his graduation. He accepted a job as an athletic administrator, but his dreams remained focused on the field of play. He spent two years playing semi-professional football for the integrated uh, integrated teams in leagues in Hawaii and California, before being drafted into the U.S. Army in the spring of 1942 during World War II. In early 1945, he was signed by the Negro League team, the Kansas City Monarchs, where he starred for one season. But on April 15, 1947, at the age of 28, he became the first African-American player in Major League Baseball, signing his contract and playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. This man broke the color barrier in a sport that had been segregated for more than 50 years. Church, do you know who that man is? Jackie Robinson. I thought that was fitting today as uh, we are having a a little Father Day celebration, a Jersey celebration. Um, I just think that Jackie Robinson had a legacy that transcended just that time and place. Men like Jackie Robinson and people who have stepped forward and fought good fights, we are now enjoying that that fight that he fought. We, We get to experience what, what he worked so hard for. And um, I just think it's, a, it's an amazing testimony of what hard work uh, leads to, that it doesn't always affect just you. It affects generations and generations to come. Um, Jackie Robinson left us with this quote, and it says, a life is not important except in the impact that it has on other lives. And I've just been thinking about and pondering over this quote, and there's I believe the truth behind that quote. I do believe that all life is important. Um, As a Christian, as a believer, I believe that every life is important. I believe we know that and and trust that as a church. But with billions and billions of people in this world, it can feel that at some time that your life is not important, that you are not seen, that, um, you know, our lives don't count or it doesn't matter. Um, We're too small. We're too basic. We're not important enough. But I believe, as in RLA, the, 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 the people, the lives that are represented here as our church, we understand that our lives matter. We understand that God has a call for each and every one of our lives. It's not just for the people on stage. It's not just for the people who lead home groups. Each and every one of us in this room, our lives matter. Our lives count for something. Amen. So I know that God has called us as a church to do amazing things. And if God has called us as a church to do amazing things, that means he has called you as, as the body to do amazing things. But I do understand what Jackie Robinson was saying. It's saying a life is not important except in the impact that it has in others' lives. So if you're wasting your life, if you're not using your life for the benefit of others, if you're not loving others, if you're not living for others, if you're not sacrificing for others, if you're not an influence, then what's the point? And I agree to that. I agree to that today. If you're not impacting others, 
What's so important about your life? Now, I know for a lot of us that our baseball playing days are over, right? Our pro days, our dreams about being in the pros are over. I've seen some of you guys play softball. It's, it's definitely over. <laughs> As men, we went to the batting cages a couple weeks ago. For me, it never even started. <laughs> so we may not influence or impact anybody on the baseball field, and that's okay because I believe that we have been called to impact and influence people in the things of the Lord, right? If you are a blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled Christian, you are called to change the world. You are called to change your neighborhood. You are called to take this message and to take the word of God and speak it and preach it and teach it and live it out to the world around you. And in that, you will influence and impact billions and billions if not hundreds and hundreds. Amen. Do you believe that, church? We have a huge part to play in advancing the kingdom of God. That's what excites me. That's what gets me excited about, about church and about people is because this message is going to change the world. Even if it's one person, you're going to change their world. Amen? Amen. And we all have an opportunity to share a powerful message a love letter from Jesus that carries chain-breaking life, transforming life, a message that gives power. We have the task of living out a message and the good news of the gospel. And for some of us, that scares us, and it's daunting, and it feels weighty, and it feels scary, and it feels like that's something that we can never walk in or never do or never put our hands to. But I'm telling you, each and every one of us in this room are called to do that in some way, shape, or form. If you believe that, why don't you say amen? Didn't sound like the whole church said amen there. So I've been thinking about this thing, this message for this morning, and it's been on my heart for quite a few years. It's been on my heart for, um, I would say, probably the last three years, and it's been something that God has been speaking to me about. Um, and I have just been waiting for an opportunity to preach. I've been waiting for an opportunity to speak about it. And I just really felt that the Lord say, you know, not yet, not yet, not yet. Um, but I'm excited because I felt like God said, now's the time. Um, so as my kids get older and I get older, I've been thinking about what am I going to leave them? As my father is getting older, I've been thinking about like, man, what is my dad leaving me? And I'm not talking about finances or a home or anything of that nature, but what am I taking and what, am, what, is, what has my dad left me with? What, what are some, some, some skills or some memories? What, what, is my dad, what has my dad left me? And I'm starting to think about that in my own kids. Is what am I going to leave my kids? And I think that this message is pretty important for Father's Day because I see a lot of amazing fathers in this room. And I want us to start thinking about this question. What will be your legacy? What will be your legacy? Now, I want to just make it clear that this message is for the ladies, it's for the young people, it's for the men that have no kids, and it is for the dads. This message is for everyone in this room, but yes, my heart is talking and speaking to the dads that are in this room. Amen? My question today is, what will be your legacy? What will be your legacy? For many people, the word legacy brings thoughts of death or thoughts of inheritance or heritage or leaving material possession. 
The definition of legacy is literally that, a gift by will, especially of money or personal property, something that is transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor from the past. Now, this thing about legacy, obviously, many people, many of us want to leave something of some importance, something meaningful to the world around us. We want to leave something to our kids, whether that would be money or accomplishments or memories. Maybe it's a, it's, it's a heart to leave a home or some cars or some sentimental items. But we don't have to wait until our last breath or we don't have to wait till our deathbed to start to think about what are we going to leave behind. This doesn't have to be something that we wait until we're gone to start to think about. What are we leaving to this world around us? Legacy is something that is given or passed on by death. But when I look in this room, I see a group of people who are alive. You're alive because the Holy Spirit is alive in you. You're alive because there's air in your lung. You're alive because you walked through these doors this morning and you drove here, which means that God is not done with you. But it's not too early to start thinking about the legacy that we're leaving. Amen. So I want to explore the reality, the reality of living out a life with a unique opportunity to bring God's love to this world around us. The, the idea of living out a life that impacts and influences hearts, transforms lives, and changes the world during and after our lifetime. This isn't something that we have to wait for. I'm not talking about leaving things behind or passing on things, but I'm talking about living a legacy that will influence and inspire generations after generations. Some of us may hear those words and think that it will never happen, that I am not important, that I am not big enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not capable, and I'm telling you, it is very possible that everyone in this room can leave a lasting legacy. Imagine this. That in every day and every moment, in every action, and in every opportunity, decision after decision, we are to decide to live out a life that in every way glorifies God. It's pretty scary. But it sounds very, very powerful. And it sounds very, very promising. And I think if we choose to do this, if we choose to say every day, every decision, Every opportunity, every choice that I make will glorify God. I believe that we will begin to change our world and our spheres of influences. We will begin to impact our children. We will begin to impact our families if we were to make those choices a little bit more louder and a little bit more with intent every day. Amen. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be a time where, as a believer, we will take our last breath. And we will be with Jesus. But the problem is we don't know when that time will be. We don't know when that time is coming. That's why it's important to begin living out that legacy today while we still have time. That's why it's important to begin to live a legacy as opposed to waiting until it's too late. And I hope that we as a church, as RLA, as Christians, as believers in this room, that we love this world so much that we would lead a life in such a way that many lives can be impacted by how you love Jesus and by how you followed him. It's not for our glory. It's not so we can have our name in lights. It's not so we can be celebrated. It's not so we can have some memorial statue outside of our church, but it's to glorify Jesus. That's, what's, that's, what, that's what it means to leave a legacy. It's to glorify the Lord. 
So legacy, what are you leaving for the world around you? What are you leaving for your family? And I just wanted to say a few things, that no one has impacted the world by what they meant to do. You can't pass and leave behind your good intentions. Legacy looks like something. Leaving and living a legacy looks like something. A godly legacy looks like something. This isn't about just playing catch with our kids and making sure that they have a roof over their heads. Those are good things, and those are amazing things, and those are things that we do as a father. But what about what we do that glorifies God? What are we doing in our lives each day that looks like something? See, a godly legacy will, not, will never be forgotten. So what will it take for us to leave and to live a legacy? I wanted to go to the Bible. It's always a safe place to start and begin. I wanted to go to the Bible. Let's look at a life that had a lasting impact, a life that was lived for Jesus until its final breath. And that person that we're going to be talking about today is the Apostle Paul. We all know who Paul is, right? It's hard to look at Paul's life and not see the grace of God. It's hard to look at Paul's life and not realize that God was with this man through and through. To see the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God through his life. To see God at work through his amazing conversion. But even with God's power and God's grace and God's mercy, even with the call of God on Paul's life, even though it's being handpicked and chosen as an instrument for the Jesus, there were still trials and there was still pain and there was still suffering and there were still some things that Paul had to get through. Amen. There were trials and there were struggles and there was pain. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. We're going to just be hitting some, some, some key passages that uh, involve Saul today or Paul today. So it says, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest he requested letters and addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation, the arrest of any followers of the way on the way he, fa uh, he found there he, there. he wanted to bring them both, men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And he was approaching Damascus on the mission. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him hand by hand to Damascus. Most of the books, 14 books of our Bible are written by Paul. And we read his words and we read the power and we're encouraged and we're influenced and we're impacted by this man's life and by his words. But Paul wasn't always an amazing man of God. We, we, he's on his way to persecute and murder Christians. Yet Jesus and God intervenes and interrupts that. Paul wasn't always a follower and believer of the Lord. 
literally on his way to murder the early church. Which removes our excuse that, hey, you know what? I can't have an influence. I can't make an impact because you don't know the kind of past I've lived. I I can't do the things that you do or I can't preach the way you preach because you don't understand the sin that I'm in or the mistakes that I've made. As we're reading right now in Paul, Paul, murdering, murderer, persecuting the early church. But yet God has something to say about this man's life. Paul was around 30 years old when he witnessed the stoning of Stephen. After that, shortly after that, leading the charge to stop the spread of early Christianity. He persecuted, murdered early believers during his trip to Damascus to murder even more Christians. He encounters God. God knocks him off his horse. He blinds him, which ultimately leads to Paul giving his life to the Lord and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul's conversion occurred around four to seven years after Jesus' crucifixion. It's safe to say that Paul knew what he was getting himself into, seeing that he found himself on the other side of that. Paul knew that when he said yes to the Lord that it wasn't going to be easy. Paul knew that when he said yes to the Lord and he was going to change and transform his life for the things of God, that there was going to be some pushback. He knew. Yet he still carried, he carried it out anyway. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in the next portion of Scripture, we see Paul boasting about what he has witnessed and what he's been through. It says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I have worked harder been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent the whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the sea. And I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches." Who is weak without my feeling that weak? Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who has led astray and I do not burn in with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show that I am weak. How weak I am! God the Father, our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of an eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guard at the city gate to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. It's a long list of things to have to endure. That's a long list of things to have to wake up every morning and say, you know what? I'm going to do this again. It's a, it's a long list is just say, you know what? Basically, after the shipwreck, I'm done. I'm tapping out. This is not worth it anymore. You know what? Maybe I'll just sit back, you know, somewhere safe, and I'll just write letters to the church, You know, 
But every single day, after trial after trial, suffering out of, after suffering, Paul decides, yeah, you know what? This message is good enough. This message is important enough, and I need to let the world know. Paul has been thrown into prison countless times, whipped countless times, faced death time and time again. Five different times, he received 39 lashes. Three times, beaten with rods. Once, he was stoned. Three times, shipwrecked. Spent nights adrift at sea. Traveled many long journeys. Faced dangers from rivers, robbers, even his own people in the cities, in the deserts, and on sea. Many sleepless nights. Thirsty, hungry, gone without food, no clothing. And on top of all that, not to mention his daily concern and burden that he held for the churches that he was leading. It's a long list. Honestly, there's times I don't want to serve if there's not food involved. If there's no potluck or there's, we're not having snacks or something, it's like, yeah, I don't even want to go to the meeting. It's already a hard day thinking like, is there going to be food there? Oh, no. Oh, what am I getting myself into? Lord, why have you forsaken me? It's a long list, long list of things to have to endure and persevere through. For some of us, sometimes the thought of even going to a midweek service is like getting hit with a rod or being whipped. Are you serious? I have to go to a home group after I just had a hard day at work? What, what is this? Where's the God in that? It's too hard. I can't do it. I'm turning back. I'm going home. Man, a worship night? Another worship night? How many times do we got to worship in this place? Man, a friend cracks a joke of you being a Christian, and now you feel embarrassed, and now you don't know if you want to be their friend anymore? Feeling the persecution? You get a tire, a nail in your tire on the way to Sunday service, and man, it's just, this is a hard life. This is hard. It's not persecution. Those are not trials. Our lives here are not in danger, not yet anyway. Every day, choosing to wake up and to do what God has called you to do, it looks like something. Despite what you have to face, despite what you have to go through, despite the, the, the trials and the suffering and the pain, each day saying, Jesus, let's do this. That looks like something. Paul was definitely a different dude. There was definitely the grace of God over his life, the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives within us today was in Paul. You can see it. As we read the scriptures, we know it. Amen. Sometimes we get this thing confused. When we say yes to the Lord, we feel like it has to be the most easiest and comfortable thing we've ever done. When we say yes to, to following God and saying, yes, Lord, you are my Savior, you are my Lord, sometimes we feel like there is just this easy life now that we're just coasting through everything and we're all just going to be okay. Now, I do believe that when we say yes to the Lord, there is a peace and there is a grace that comes from him. There is a peace that comes from giving our lives to the Lord. But as soldiers of God, 
as soldiers in God's army, we have work to do. We're not, promises, we're not promised flowers and, and, and skipping through meadows. We're, we're at war. And that looks like something. We have work to do. We add souls and people to the mix. Of course, it's going to get hard and it's going to get messy. But moving on, we, find, we finally see Paul now at a place where he knows that his time is up. He's under uh, Roman rule. He knows. He sees, the clock, he sees the clock ticking. His life is up. His time is up. It's time to come, his life is coming to an end. So basically right here, this is Paul's last words. And, and we as a culture, as a people, we put a lot of weight, significant weight on people's last words. We, we feel that they're significant because this is the last words that they're ever going to tell somebody or tell us. Right? It gives us a, a, a snapshot or a picture into their lives or into their hearts of what they mean and what they care about at that moment. So right here we see Paul in his last words, and he's writing to Timothy. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set, us, set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears wants to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As far as for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul is 66 years old at this time. And I just love this snapshot of the last words. Paul encouraged the church, many churches, wrote many books of the Bible. His last words, what are the things that come out in this portion of Scripture? And this is what I've felt the Lord have for us today. Fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. He could have said anything. But I believe that there is three important points that it look what, what a life of legacy looks like. If we want to leave a legacy, if we want to live out a legacy, three things. Fight the good fight, run your race, keep the faith. You guys with me? So Ephesians 6:12 says. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Fight the good fight. Church, we are not fighting against people. 
We are not fighting against political parties. We are not fighting against the people we don't like or live a certain different way than we would like to. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight the good fight. We fight for the things of the Lord. Amen. Paul sums up his life, his life that was a fight as a life poured out as an offering for the Lord. Paul knew the importance of his life. He knew the power that his life had, but it wasn't something that he clinged to. It was an offering for the Lord. Each day, it was easy to get up after being shipwrecked, after being beaten, after being stoned, after being thrown in prison, after being cold and hungry. It was easy for Paul to do those things and say yes to those things because he understood that his life wasn't all about him, but his life was supposed to be an offering for the Lord. Does that make sense? I hope that, that that sits with you a little bit. Is your life an offering for the Lord? Or is it just something that we cling to, all about ourselves, all about what we like, all about what makes sense to us? Paul summed up his life as a fight, as an offering to be poured out for the Lord. We cannot deny the legacy that Paul left. We can't deny the mark that his life made. Difficult, yes. Powerful, absolutely. Painful even, yes. But he fought for the things of God. He fought for souls, fighting for others, fighting for the truth of the gospel. Church, that should be something that we fight for. If we are here saying yes to the Lord as RLA, those are the things that we need to be fighting for. Not social media fights and arguments, not about parties, not about sides, not about any of those things. What we fight for are souls and for others, and we fight for the truth of the gospel. Paul wasn't perfect. We know that he fought the flesh. Church, are we fighting the flesh? Are we allowing the flesh to just take over our lives? Are we allowing the sinful thoughts and the sinful actions just to be, be our, our normal everyday life? Or are we continuing to fight that fight? We must fight the flesh. We must fight sin. We must fight for what is good. My question this morning, what are we fighting for? Do we find ourselves fighting battles and fighting for things that have zero eternal value? Because if we are, then we need to put it to an end. We must make sure that we are fighting the good fight, the good fight of faith. Amen. Fighting for our families. Fighting for the gospel. Fighting for the body of Christ. Husbands, fathers, are we fighting for vision? Where are we headed? Where are we going? These are things that need to be fought for. Number two, running. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. We know as a church that there is a race ahead of us, that each and every one of us in this room is running a race. Amen? Our lives are a race. This life that we're living is a race. And I love the fact that, God, that Paul doesn't just say that he ran the race. He says, I've finished the race. 
Don't just start the race. Don't just run a race. Paul finished the race that was laid out before him. Church, it is important for us in this room to finish our race. Philippians 3.14 says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Each and every one of us has a race that God has placed out before us, and each and every one of us has a, 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 a mandate to run that race, and not just run, but to finish. Amen. So run your race to win. If you have a neighbor by you, let them know to finish their race. We must finish to win. I love the fact that Paul uses athletic terminology and sports terminology. That's what speaks to me. That's what makes sense to me. Why would we ever start a race if we don't want to win? There's not much things in my life personally that I start or that I do that I don't want to win. If we start a Uno game, I'm going to win. <laughs> don't say that, Jen. That's another story for another time. That's me fighting the flesh. Jen said apples to apples. Run your race to win. Don't run your race just to say, hey, look, God, I did it. I started the race. Am I good now? Finish the race. This race is a marathon. The race is a lifelong race. This is not a sprint. As long as there's air in our lungs, we keep running. Tell your neighbors to keep running. Keep running. Our race, when we're running our race, we're not running away from Jesus. That's a different kind of race that God has not set out before us to run. We're not called to run away from Jesus. We're not called to run, run back to our past. We're not called to run your neighbor's race. You're called to run your race, and you're called to finish your race. Amen. When I read that, it's just a thing about a legacy. It's a legacy that, that finishes well. A legacy that finishes well. When you start something, you see it through. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 9, verse 24 says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Somebody say amen. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I run with purpose in every step. That has to be true for us. That with everything we put our hand to, anything we start, anything that we step foot on in this life, that we would do it to do it well, to glorify the Lord, and to finish well, but we do it every, uh, every step with purpose. We also must keep in mind that this race isn't a private race. It's not a, a, just a, a private race. This is a race that takes place with all eyes on us. 
And that's why it's important to, to run with, with purpose in every step. Because our race will encourage others. Our, our race will influence others. Our race will show everybody around us that you can do it too. That's what it means to leave a legacy. And number three, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. Faithfulness is a lost trait these days. Faithfulness is a lost trait these days. Everybody's wishy-washy. Can't rely on anybody. Can't. We must remain faithful, church. Consistent, steadfast. Men in this room, you must be consistent and steadfast. We understand that God is faithful. He's unchanging. He's unwavering. He is so constant. So it makes sense that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we too can be those things. Men, in your households, as a husband, as a father, be steadfast, unwavering, be constant, be unchanging. I know for me, I don't want to leave a legacy that is unreliable. I know that I don't want to leave and live a legacy that is unstable or undependable. I take pride in being able to, that, that I am reliable. And I think the eldership team and my friends here would say that. So I don't want to be undependable. When someone needs you, when someone needs me, we want to be ready. We want to be ready to go. Remain faithful. Keep the faith. Paul wasn't always popular. Paul wasn't always comfortable. And Paul wasn't always perfect. But Paul was always faithful. Even in his dying days, Paul was thinking of others. Even in his dying days, he remained faithful to loving, leading, and encouraging churches, preparing Timothy for his ministry, and never slowing down regarding sharing the gospel. John C. Maxwell says, those who leave a legacy have a long view of life. They know that before they came, someone built a bridge for them. And they know that as they leave, they must build a bridge for someone who will come behind them. And I think that's important. That as men and women of God, as mothers and fathers, husbands and wives in this place today, that we would continue to fight the good fight that we would continue to finish our race, run our race to finish and to remain faithful in it and know that somebody else is coming um, on, on the backside of that. People are watching you. People are watching how you live. People are watching how you love. People are watching how you serve. People are watching how you, how you follow the Lord and how you worship God. And that's okay. They're not being nosy. They're being encouraged. They're being influenced. They're being impacted by your love for the Lord. Amen. I hope that as a church, we can live a legacy. And I keep saying leave a legacy, but I want to say live a legacy because we're still here. I want to live a legacy that fights, live a legacy that finishes well, 
and lives a legacy that remains faithful. A legacy that fights for truth, fights for our families. We fight for the gospel, fight for salvation, fight for love. We're fighting for others. Build bridges, living out our lives in a way, walking out this gospel, walking out our lives that glorifies Christ in every step that we put forward. A life that impacts nations, neighborhoods, running our race with a purpose in every step, running with others in mind. And I know that is different because we don't want to care what other people are doing. We don't want to care what other people are seeing. But God has called us to care for our neighbors. God has called us to love our neighbors. And one way we can love is by showing them how to live. Running our race with a purpose, running with purpose in every step, is counter to our culture, We remain faithful. We will not quit when things get hard. We will not throw in the towel when life gets tough. We will finish the race that God has placed in front of us. Amen? One day we will give an account for how we loved our world and how we served our world, how we loved others. We will give an account for how we served. We will give an account for how we lived out this life. And I hope that one day that we would all appear, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, church. The couple of things I wanted to pray for this morning. One thing I wanted to pray for was for those of us who have not said yes to the Lord. And I wanted to give an opportunity for that to take place this morning. I don't know your life. I don't know everybody in this room as far as I can see. But I wanted to give an opportunity for those of you or anybody in this room who have not said yes to the Lord to be able to do that today. You haven't said a prayer of salvation. You haven't asked the Lord into your life. You haven't said, you know what? I want to say yes to God. I want to walk this walk. I want to run this race. And if that's you, I just want to give an opportunity to do so. So if anybody in this room has not given their lives to the Lord, you can just raise your hand. Everyone's eyes are closed. Their heads are bowed. It's just me. It's just Jesus. Awesome. It's amazing. We have a room full of soldiers. Awesome. The next thing I wanted to do, if I could, if I could have all the dads stand up. I'm going to have some help from my little friends soon. They should be coming down, but I just wanted to pray a blessing for you guys.
God sees you. God loves you. I know many times in the world it feels like you're used and abused. It feels like no one sees you, no one appreciates you. We appreciate you. The people in RLA appreciate you. We appreciate your hard work. We appreciate the life and the race that you run. Yeah, kids, if you can just pick a dad. All the dads are standing up. Lots of dads that are standing up. You can go to your own dad. You can find a dad. Anybody who's standing up. When we're talking about legacy, there's a million people that are watching you, how you love, how you lead, how you serve. And you may feel like, man, no one sees me, no one cares. But like I said, God does. The little people in this room see you. Some may be your own kids. Some may be other people's kids. But how you live and how you love and how you serve and how you glorify God. Yeah, if you rise up as well, absolutely, get involved. It influences and impacts not only the little people in here, everybody. So I just wanted to pray. These kids are praying a prayer for you right now, I believe. Lord, we're just thankful for our fathers, the men who have said yes to you, the men who have sacrificed, the men who work hard. God, we just continue to pray a blessing over them. We pray that they would feel loved, they would feel honored. Lord, I pray, God, that these men would know that their lives count and their lives matter. Lord, I pray, God, that they would step with purpose every single day whether it's their jobs, the lunch rooms, wherever they put their hands to, God, that they would walk with purpose, knowing that they are called to change the world, knowing that they are called to spread the gospel, knowing that they are called to run their race and finish their race for your glory, King Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, that they would know that they are loved. God, we're thankful for men who say yes to you. We love you, Jesus. We love our dads. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. I think the kids are still going around.